Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. And good morning. We're back. Happy 4th of July. Hey, turn to somebody next to you and say, good morning. You chose the best Sunday to be here. We are starting a brand new series, and I, I'm really hopeful that God's going to do something unique and powerfully profound in it. But it's not just a series about sermons. So what we do is we preach a series of sermons. It's kind of like a book, and each Sunday represents a chapter. So you don't want to miss a Sunday of this. It's going to be pretty awesome. I believe I believe God's going to do something unique. But before I, I dive into that, I just... I want to say, share with you a couple of things that I, I'm extremely excited about. One of the things that I love and that we are passionate about is making sure that we're the church when we leave this building and not just when we gather in the confines of this amazing gym. And so uh, one of the ways that we do that is by doing a campaign where churchwide we get involved and get aggressive with making an impact in the community just to say, we love you, we're here for you, we believe in you. And that's coming up on July 15th. We have what's called Serve Day. Everybody say Serve Day. They're going to put a number up on the screen. It's going to be there while I'm talking about this. You can text the word OC to the number on the screen. But let me tell you what this is. We're literally going to meet together and then disperse all around Orange County and work in different areas, helping different people in different seasons of life. We're going to help out with the Orange County Rescue Area where we can help with the food bank. And we're going to go take baked goods to first responders, uh, both the fire station, police department, and the emergency room. And just take it and drop it off. Say, man, we love you. We're behind you. And we're praying for you. We're going to impact our community one group at a time. We're going to be helping on some different school campuses and all kinds of amazing things. And listen, you've got to be a part of this. What's really exciting about this is there will be hundreds of movement church people are doing and, and being a part of impacting Orange County. But even better than that, on this very day, all around the nation and even the world, hundreds of churches are going to be doing the exact same thing, serving their community just to say, hey, we're the church and we want to be a part of the solution. So you can text the word serve OC to the number that's on the screen. Get your phones out. Do it right now. And you can choose what area. I see only three of you grabbing your phones. So the rest of you don't like serving our county or you're already signed up. Okay, great. So listen, make sure you sign up. We got a free t-shirt for everybody who's involved. It'll be about four hours of your time on a Saturday morning. But I promise you the impact that it will make on your life will be exponentially amazing. There's nothing like just saying, hey, we're here to make a difference in your life. No strings attached. We're here to say we love you. So sign up today and be a part of that. Does that sound good? Okay, real quick question before I dive into the message. How many of you in this room love Christmas? Raise your hand. All right, Christmas in July, right? We're talking about, no, we're not talking about Christmas. But listen, I, something kind of dawned on me as I got older in life and had children uh, about how much it takes to make Christmas awesome, right? So I, I was one of seven kids, and during my tween to teenage years, my family went through quite a financial crisis, for a number of years, I'm talking evicted from multiple homes. My dad worked hard. It was just one of those things that it couldn't, we just couldn't make it happen. There were seasons where we were literally living in a La Quinta hotel 
for a month. There was a day when we had all of our belongings in a car and weren't sure where we were going to sleep that night. Been on food stamps, like the old school food stamps that looks like Monopoly money, not a card that you swipe. And nobody at any cash register knows how to take the Monopoly money. So it's just embarrassing on top of embarrassing. And what was interesting to me is every Christmas, my mom and dad just pulled this magic trick out of the hat and made Christmas amazing. No money. I mean, there was literally a Christmas where my dad said, hey guys, this year we're making our Christmas gifts. To which all the kids were like, oh man, I've been waiting for this. This is awesome. Y'all don't know whether to laugh or not. It's okay. And every Christmas was unbelievable. Life changing. And when I had my own kids, I realized how much work it took to pull off Christmas. I mean, thank God for Santa Claus for all that he does. Crafting, baking, traditions. And they worked hard to pull off a moment that all of us kids would never forget. And every Sunday, there's a group of men who do the same thing for you. They get here at 5.45 a.m., and they unload a 26-foot box truck. They worked all week. They unload a 26-foot long box truck. And they set up this pipe and drape. This wasn't here before this morning. And the lights and the sound and this screen, they raise it up and set up all the wiring and equipment. And they put the flags out in the courtyard. And they make sure that the kids' room have drapes and play panels. And, and, and a team comes and cleans the toys so that your kids play with clean Toys, can I get an amen from some happy family members? And they put pop-ups up, and they make sure the coffee is ready. Why? Because they love to get up at 545. Actually, they get up before that and be here at 545 on a Sunday. No one said that ever. But they love to create a moment for you right here, right now, where God can do something profound. Hey, guess what? It's summer. And we have some vacancies on the crew team. <laughs> Opportunities. What? What? Look at me in the eyes for one minute. No shame, no guilt. Some of you can do that. It's a rotation. It's not every week. Some guys can only set up. Some guys can only tear down. Some guys can do both. Some gals do this too. We are equal opportunity crew members. <laughs> hey, look at me for a moment. Some of you can do this. And this is your moment. Nobody loves to be here at 545 on Sunday, but we all love the life change that follows. So if you're here and you think, yeah, I could do that, a rotation. So every other week, if you need more than that, you, we can work that out. If you want to go weekly, we'll tell you to calm down. Let's just start it out for a first time. But if that's you, you say, yeah, I can do that. Just text the word Dream Team to the number on the screen and check the box to the crew. And Clement will show up at your door with millions of dollars. No, I'm kidding. Hey, look at me. No shame. No, no guilt. But some of you can. So just say yes. And let's make a difference because every moment counts. Does that sound good? Everybody say amen. That means you all are signing up. You just, I tricked you. We filmed that? I'm kidding. Well, I want to share a few things with you today. And I want to jump into this series. And are you guys good up here? Can you all hang for a minute? Can you all give it up for our amazing worship team? Every week, just blow our minds. Jeremy literally has a ring of sweat around his neck, sweat tacos, and his back. It is just for Jesus. Don't hug him. Don't hug him. after. Just fist bump it after service. 
And Matt behind him, who's hiding out, is going to be a dad here in a couple days. He really is going to be one of the greatest dads. But I just, before we dive into this series, I just, it's July 4th weekend, and in first service, literally nobody's here, so I preached to myself. So now I'm just going to have some fun. Is that cool? And uh, I just want to share a couple things and really kind of, I want to kind of appeal to just that, an internal sense of, like, just commitment. Is that cool? Um, you don't have an option. I'm going to do it anyway. So all of us in this room have stories, and our life is a story with different chapters. And here's the challenge about the stories that we face and that we live. Actually, it's one thing to say we face. It's another thing to actually live the story. Every story of our life is full mutually of both beauty and pain. You and I can't escape that. We cannot live a pain-free life because life happens. Some of it's, it's because of decisions that we have made perpetually that cause grief and pain. Some of it's because life has happened, maybe the loss of a loved one or a financial crisis that you didn't plan for or whatever it might be. And, and as a result, with that pain in our life, we actually have to do something with it. But we, we have this tendency to kind of shove it down, scoot it underneath the rug, pretend as if it's not there, and heaven forbid, actually talk to somebody about it. I'll just hold on to it. And then we lack the transparency required to walk through our lives honestly with people. And we just hold on to pain and we don't have to. It just stays there. The other day, I, I was looking for our Apple TV remote. Anybody have Apple TV? They were like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to create the smallest remote possible out of glass so when you drop it, it doesn't work and you can't find it. So thank you, Apple. So I was trying to find it. Like, it's like this big. It's like I don't even know how there's buttons that read your mind or whatever. So we, unfortunately, we actually had to lift the cushions of our couch. Anybody ever done that? We have an 85-pound black lab who sheds buckets of hair and smells awesome, never. So we lift up the couch cushions. I wish I had put a hazmat suit on. I mean, listen, we like our couches. We've got a clean home. We make sure it stays clean. We sit on that stuff, but as we lift it up, there's like Trader Joe's bags worth of hair from our dog underneath there. I think there was a quesadilla, some loose change, and we found a child. We don't even know who its parents are. Like, we got to call somebody. This child has been missing maybe for months, but he's obviously had some food and uh, enough hair to, you know, make a sweater for cold months. And so, you know, it's just crazy because we've been sitting on those couch cushions. If some of you have been to our house, you have sat on that business. But it was just hidden down, shoved in the cracks and crevices of this couch that on the outside looks like cheap West Elm or really nice Ikea furniture. <laughs> it's like West Kia. I don't know, even know what that means. And it's kind of like our lives. We work really hard to have the appearance of perfection. Everything's great. We wear nice clothing. We drive nice cars. We post pictures of our family on Instagram and Facebook where everybody's like, oh man, everything is great, but we're just covering up the junk that's in between the cracks and crevices of the couches that we think look perfect. We live a different life. We just don't want to let people in, and, and, and here's the challenge is that 
Some of us are, are literally tied or tethered or anchored to the past and we just can't seem to let go of that one thing. We relive it and we rehearse it and others are tied to our present and we bring our pain and our frustration and our shame and our regret or whatever, insert pain there and into every relationship. And all of this is done in an attempt to hide our very damaged hearts. But can I just tell you, you, you don't have to live this way. We, we don't have to live this way anymore. There's freedom from your past, from your present, from your enemies, from your memories, from yourself. There's freedom. That's what the series is about, freeway. And hey, listen, if you're here today and you, you're not sure what it is that you believe, that's great. Okay, permission to belong before you believe. I don't want you to feel any pressure. You can truly do and believe whatever you want and sit and just be. There's a place for you here. But if you're here today and you say, I'm a Christ follower, I've said, yes, I'm a Christian, I've said yes to Jesus, Listen, I want to just tell you for a moment, Christian, Jesus didn't die for you so that you to provide f freedom for you so that you can live a life of slavery to your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups. But so many of us are actually doing just that. We're caught in the quandary, the, 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 the limbo, the space between the life that I'm living and the life that I know I was created to live. Some of us have a hard time coming to church because we know this. We know that there is something more for us that God has for us, but we have just settled on mediocre and settled on the slavery of normalcy and just shoved more things in the cracks and crevices of the sofa of our life. But there is hope for you and for me. There is an answer. Jesus died so that you could know the freeway. In fact, God wants to work in and on and through you, not the sanitized, perfect, spiffed up version of yourself, but you, jacked up, imperfect, messy, angry on the way into church, yelling at your kids, hoping they don't tell the teacher, speeding because I'm running late, angry with my boss, frustrated with my sin habits. That's the you that Jesus wants to do something in and through. Hey, that's a good place to clap. And that's what this journey is about. Somebody say freeway. Seven weeks, we're going to take a journey. So just lean in for a moment. Here's what I'd ask. Just, can I put a pastor hat on for a minute? I just, would you just be here? I know you have vacations. I get it. I have vacations too. But just, just be here. When you're not here, get the podcast and listen. Make it to the services. We've got two options for you. The, those that get up early, 9 o'clock. Those of you that are <laughs> slept in, <laughs> 11. But be here. But not only that, listen, this is the icing on the cake. Life change rarely happens in rows and often happens in circles. Life change happens in the context of relationship. So corresponding with this series, we're doing a small group, connect groups, called Freeway. On your way out today, all of the connect group leaders are here. You can find out the information. It's like a gauntlet out there. And it's you know, no pressure, but all of you will be in a connect group. <laughs> We're going to walk through this book, and, and this book is amazing. It appeals to the intellectual and the creative. And there will be po points in this book that you will literally hate. And there will be parts of this book that you will literally love. And there will be parts of this book that make you really 
ask some tough questions. But this book won't change your life. But being open to what God can do and getting around some people may. So don't miss this connect group semester. Don't, you cannot do this. You cannot experience freedom via isolation. We need people around us. So be here on Sundays and jump into a connect group. Mine is on Saturdays at 8 a.m. at the Kaleidoscope for men only. You're welcome. I'll buy your coffee if you come. Please come. No, I'm kidding. Let's pray and, and dive in. Is that cool? God, we just, we just ask you to do something awesome. It's, there's a lot of pressure sometimes to know what the next step is, but you, you know what ours is, and you know what you have planned for us. So God, if you know what you have planned for us, a hope and a future, I have to think that you can help us walk through life and experience life the freeway. So in the way that only you can, Pray that you would just kind of lean in and help us to make the changes we need to make. We give you permission to rearrange the furniture of our lives and lift up the cushions to see what it is you want to do. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, that just means I agree. As we dive into this today, I figured it would be great to kind of unpack a very infamous story in the Bible, one of my favorites, many of you have heard it, whether you're in church or not, uh, new to church, it doesn't matter, you've probably heard the story, it's found in Luke chapter 15, the title of the story is most often referred to as the prodigal son, anyone ever heard of that, the prodigal son, great, and uh, we're going to unpack this today, but as we do so, it's a couple things to, that are kind of important to note, a little cultural dynamics, some history behind this is Jesus is telling this story as a word picture for some bigger thing he's trying to communicate. And as he's telling this story, he's talking to two groups of people. One group of people was referred to as the Pharisees. And they were kind of like religious nut jobs who were completely immersed and mesmerized with the law but did not love people. A little bit challenging. The other group of people were just notorious, scandalous sinners. So we have like this bipolar crowd, if you will, that's just listening in, trying to discover what it is that Jesus wants to share. And he, he starts off in Luke chapter 15. If you want to follow along, by the way, you can text the word notes. Uh, they'll usually put the number on the screen. We've got the scripture on the screen. I encourage you to read along and take notes along with us because I think today we might all be able to leave with something kind of exciting. Luke chapter 15, Jesus dives in and it says this, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So before we go into any more detail of this, there's a couple of things I want to unpack. I want to share a few things with you that in this, this time period, in biblical times, there's a few things that in those days a Middle Eastern father would never do. And I feel contextually it helps support this story in a way that kind of unlocks some things that me, you and I may have never seen. So there's a few things that a Middle Eastern father in biblical times would never have done. And the very first one is he would never have divided the inheritance for his children this early. He would have followed a tradition for thousands of years that would wait until the very end of his life 
close to his deathbed, and he would bring his children in according to their birth order, and the firstborn would get the, the estate as a whole. He would become the now father, the patriarch of the household, and each child subsequently would get their portion. So a Middle Eastern father at this time would never say, yeah, let's do that. I'll divide up what I've been working for for you far in advance before your maturity can handle it. And so what Jesus is doing is he's setting the stage that this is not your typical death. The verse goes on in, in verse 13 and it says this, Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So not long after that, the boy got everything he had, all of his money, he put it in the car, put Steppenwolf on, born to be wild, and took off, head out on a highway. Anybody? Thank you. First service did not, they're like, Steppenwolf, who is that? Mostly because I was talking to myself in first service, but that's not important. He's like, this is the freeway. Born to be wild, I've got everything I want, everything I could hope for, everything I could dream for. This is the good life. But you and I both know that that doesn't last long, does it? Look at what verse 14 says. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. Something that's definitely worth noting here is here we have a very kosher Jewish boy who has spent everything, not only everything he had, but his future. And is now feeding a very unkosher farm of pigs. This, my friends, is the bottom of the barrel. In this story, Jesus illustrates how he longed greatly just to eat from the food that the pigs would eat. This would be one of the worst things you could do as a Jewish boy because this would be defiled and you would be deemed unclean. This, my friends, was the bottom of the barrel, the pig pen. Nowhere further to go. This is rock bottom. Have you ever been at rock bottom? The place where you feel like there is no way this could get worse. Like you, you, you hear people say, well, it's only up from here, but you have a hard time even thinking about the potential of light at the end of the tunnel because the darkness is so overwhelming. Have you ever experienced, maybe for some of you it was... Just repetitive financial choices after financial choices that got you into a place where now you don't know how to dig your way out and you seem to have set a standard of this in your life. Or perhaps for some of you, if you're like me, it's a series of really poor choices that led to a place of discouragement and isolation because of the mistakes that you've made. But it's the bottom of the barrel that everything begins to change. This is something that I think is worth writing down, and that is this. God does some of his greatest work in our lives when we are in the pig pen. If you're at the bottom of the barrel, if you're at a place where you feel completely empty, man, I'm going to tell you, this is the place where God has potential to do the greatest miracle. Look at what happens next in the story. I think this is important. This is really kind of like step one, but it's not the end, but I think that many of us get here. Verse 17 
the first statement says this, when he came to his senses, so it finally dawned on him, as we spoke about earlier, that where I am is not where I'm called to be. What I'm experiencing right now isn't the fullness that God has for me. He came to his senses. It dawned on him, and he said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father... I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. He's saying, man, I, if I could just get back home. This isn't working out. This isn't what I had hoped. This isn't the good life. This isn't the freeway. It came to his senses. And even if it means he no longer will take me as a son, even if I lose the birthright, even if I lose all that I once had, I'll still rather be a servant than anything else and he just comes to his senses but my friends he didn't stop there and I'm afraid many of us in this room have because we know that the life that we're living is not necessarily the life that we were called to live and so we'll come to our senses but often we'll let our life and our choices stop there there's something better for me there's something I could do better I can change this but we just let it be a thought that we have and no action to follow it now as I'm a little bit further in life and in my younger years, I can look back to a three-year journey of my life where I ran hard from God. Where I literally followed the desires that I wanted to follow. And I can look back and identify not just one or two, but a half a dozen to a dozen times where I came to my senses. And I realized this is not what I want. There's more for me. And instead of making changes, all I did was come to my senses and then pursue the life that I wanted. Only six months later, a year later, to look back and just be reminded of how far in the wrong direction I have been running. Anyone ever felt that before? Yeah. Coming to our senses, realizing this isn't enough, isn't where it has to stop, there's another step. And I think that's what's so powerful about this story. Verse 20, the first part of this verse says, and he arose and he came to his father. So he got up and he stopped running and he turns in the direction of his father. He turned in the direction of his father. And what he doesn't know, and I love this part of the story, many call it the prodigal son, but I think it should really be called the heart of a father. What he didn't know is that the dad had been standing on the front porch waiting, scanning the horizon, looking for a silhouette, for the shadow, the mere inkling, that just anything that would identify, that's my son and he's coming home. He didn't realize that the father had been pacing the floor, looking and waiting and watching, gotten to the tallest part of his home to see at the furthest distance possible when is my son going to come home? I want to illustrate and maybe uh, introduce to you a second thing that a Middle Eastern father in biblical times would never do. He would never run in public. Never. He was an educated, distinguished, wealthy man and he would never lower himself to the place of running and yet Jesus throws in a curveball, another surprise that while this boy is coming home, Look at what verse 20, part B says. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. 
And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The dad sees his son running from a long way off and he hikes up his tunic and he begins to sprint, maybe kicked off his sandals, chains flying, hair flopping in the wind and he sees his son. And he meets his son not to spear him or to throw shame or condemnation at him, but to say, I love you. He embraces him with a hug and a kiss and he says, welcome home. This, my friends, was no ordinary dad. And I have one thought for you that I think would be worth writing down. And if you don't hear anything else from the sermon today, It'd be the one thought that I think would be worth taking home with you. And that is this. If you will just stop running, God will run to you. If you will just stop running, God will run to you. There's a third thing that a Middle Eastern father in these days would never do. He would never throw a party for a son who blew his inheritance. He would never do that. He's following traditions for thousands of years and this is what he lived his life for was to create an inheritance, to create a future for his family. And in fact, there was a ceremony, a ritual that was specifically held for a son who blew his inheritance. Once that happened, the entire community would come out with jars of clay and they would fill them with rocks or corn nuts. And they would stand at the doorpost of this wayward son who had blown his inheritance. And they would call him out. And the moment the son would step out onto the porch, they would lift the pots over their heads and smash them down on the ground. And they would say, one by one, you broke the trust of your father. You broke the trust of this community. And we are breaking our trust and allegiance with you. And he would be excommunicated. One by one, they would do this to him. It was this ritual, this ceremony that so often kept young men from waywarding off of the path. No father in this time would have thrown a party. The father hugs the son. The son says in verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Jesus throws a surprise in. The listeners are watching and waiting to see how this dad would respond, verse 22 says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father changes the narrative he invites the community out and he begins to celebrate why because what was dead is now alive and what was lost is now found now think for a moment how deeply hurt this father must have been think about what this cost him a significant portion of his estate squandered all that he had worked for all that he had labored for for years is gone not only that but the oldest son who stayed is angry with his dad. Dad, I didn't leave. I've been working this land and I, I didn't squander your wealth and now you celebrate that joker? The community was waiting. I would imagine the story doesn't depict this, but waiting, with, ready with pots of clay filled with rocks 
ready to just throw it on the ground and shame the son. The father changes the narrative and he doesn't even say, hey, you failure. Where have you been? I told you it would come to this. He ran and he welcomed the son home. I wonder if when Jesus was done with this story, if both groups of people, perhaps the religious nutjobs and the scandalous sinners, were leaning in and thinking to themselves, this is no ordinary dad. This is no ordinary dad. Hey, church, if you'll stop running, God will start running to you. Hey, look at me. He's deeply concerned with the things hidden between the cracks and crevices of the couch cushions. And you're not meant to live life that way. And if you'll just stop running, he will run to you. In the few moments that we have remaining, I just want to share four takeaways from this story to encourage you. I'd encourage you to take notes along with me. Just a few moments together for takeaways that we can pull from this story. Number one is that God loves you even when you make unwise choices. God loves you even when you make unwise choices. Remember that moment in the heat of the battle when you were arguing with your spouse and you said those words that just cut people so deep. And the moment you said them, shame and grief overwhelmed you. It was even in that moment that God loves you. Late at night when you are clicking away on sites on the internet you should not have been clicking on or scrolling through in your phone in the midst of your unwise choices, God still loves you. When you swipe the credit card again and you shouldn't even have it and you're paying an overwhelming amount of debt, Jesus still loves you. His love, my friends, is unconditional. And that's challenging for us, even as we talk about the the topic of a father. I would imagine that in this room, there are probably dozens and dozens of people who have a horrible story of the relationship between them and their father. And so this kind of regurgitates some pain. Maybe it's not you, it doesn't even matter, but often what we will do is equate the challenges of the relationships that we have with humanity to God's love and his desire for a relationship with us. And we think this person failed me and they were supposed to be there, they were supposed to protect me, they were supposed to to love and, and to cherish and they didn't and so if they didn't, how can I trust a God to do the same thing? But God's love is unconditional. I think this is why it's so challenging for us to be authentic in connect groups. While we push back so often, because I don't necessarily want people to see the pain and the dirt in my life. And I'm terrified at what will happen when someone finds out that I have made unwise choices. Can I just tell you two words? That would be worth memorizing and when all of you are in connect groups this semester, that's a subliminal message. 
it'd be worth rehearsing as you sit across the table or couch or picnic bench or whatever it is from your friends over the next few weeks. Two words worth memorizing. Me too. Oh, you've made unwise choices? Me too. Oh, you, you, you spent frivolously and you should have been wise? Me too. Oh, you, you've got addiction issues? Oh, me too. Oh, you, you yell at your kids? I don't. Praying for you. <laughs> me too. Me too. Number two, God loves you even when you fail. Even when you fail. Sometimes our unwise choices lead to failure. But Jesus, as he tells this story, stands eye to eyes, eye to eye with the sinners, and he, and he says, hey, no matter what you've failed at in life, if you'll just stop running, I will run to you. So he loves you when you make unwise choices. He loves you when you fail. And God loves you while he waits for you to come home. We underline that word while on purpose. Because God does patiently stand on the proverbial front porch of life, scanning the horizon, kind of like a sprinter at the starting line, in position, just ready to hear the gun go off. Poise, training, prepping, waiting just to see you just peek over the horizon. But here's the challenge. He cannot force you to stop running. You have to choose. You have to choose. He can't make you live the way he wants you to live. You have to choose. Why would you want to live life any other way than being welcomed home by an awesome God? And when you stop, He'll run to you. Number four, God loves you, not because you're good, but because he's no ordinary father. Not because of anything you can, you cannot good works your way into God's love for you. You cannot church attendance your way into God's love for you. You cannot give your way, serve your way, clean up your way into God's love for you. I love that this story, the son returns and he doesn't say, hey, go take a shower. You've obviously been working with pigs. In fact, I smelled you coming over the horizon. That's why I ran. We've got soap and buckets ready to take. He didn't say, go and apologize to your mother. Go apologize to your brother. Go clean up your act and get a J-O-B and pay me back, sucker, because that was mine and I gave. No, he didn't say any of that. Your dad doesn't talk to you all that way? Okay. He just said, man, welcome home. Welcome home. Some of us didn't want to walk in the door today because we felt like we needed to get cleaned up before we got here, and it couldn't be further from the truth. He doesn't love you because of how you behave. He loves you because he's no ordinary dad. He's no ordinary dad. Dad. There's a Spanish fable of a father and a son who get into an argument. And this is a severe argument. It's intense. They're fighting and the actions and anger, it gets heated and words are exchanged. And the son 
storms out of the house, slams the door behind him. Father's angry, but weeks pass, and now he's concerned, and he's really just trying to find his son, and he can't seem to find him anywhere. He's not hanging out with the friends that he usually hangs out with, and weeks turn into months, and now the, the father's just getting discouraged, and, and, and all of his friends are saying, oh, it's too late. He's squandered everything. Just leave him be. It's over. But the father just loves the son, and he's desperate for him. And so finally, in a last-ditch effort, he, he writes an ad in the Madrid newspaper, and he, he writes a little letter to his son, and he says, Dear Paco, please meet me this Saturday, 12 noon, in front of this newspaper office. All is forgotten. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. The story goes that Saturday at 12 noon, 800 Pacos showed up looking to be loved. Craving the love of a father. Desperate to be fulfilled. All of us have an intrinsic desire to be loved by a father, and that is who God is. He is no ordinary dad, but he loves you, so stop running. Stop running. For the few more moments in our service today, would you mind just bowing your heads and nobody looking around? I'd just like for you to maybe identify. Some of you in here can remember that moment. You can remember the moment when you stopped running and God started running to you. For me, I was 23 years old, married, and just tired of living a life that was a lie. I drove up to the highest point in the city that we lived in. I had a conversation with God where I just said, God, I'm done running. And he met me there in that moment. And I didn't get perfect. I still made mistakes, but man, my life and the trajectory of my life shifted. And some of you in this moment, my question is, what, what was that moment for you when you stopped running? What a time to remember the things that God has done for us here and now. But some of you here today, you can't remember that moment. Maybe you haven't had it yet. And you, you've made a life of running from God. And today is a day to change that. In a moment, I actually want to give you an opportunity to respond, not to get out of your seat, not for any embarrassment, not that anyone can can point the, the attention at you, but just to give you a chance between you and God to stop running and experience the fullness that he has for you. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you've never prayed that prayer with me, I would challenge you right where you're seated in the quietness of your own heart to just repeat that prayer after me, and it's just a simple act of saying, God, I'm going to stop running, and he is going to run at you full speed because that's what he does. And some of you in this room have Maybe pray this prayer with me or with someone before. But for the last few weeks, months, or maybe even years, you've been running from God, and today is the day to stop. I want to challenge if that's you. Pray this prayer with me. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody 
looking around. If you're here and you've never prayed this prayer, or if you're here and today you need to pray this prayer for the first time in a long time, just repeat this after me in the quietness of your own heart to say, Dear God, I know that you love me, that you have plans for me, that you want me to live the freeway. Today I want to stop running. And just make this statement your own. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.